Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, welcome to week number three of our series, Reset. And this idea of reset is all about kind of the New Year's idea that when a New Year comes around, everybody wants to make some changes. We're a little more open to change, and so we want to make some resets, some things, some areas of our lives that we would like to do better in the upcoming year than maybe we have in the past. And so, so far in this series, we've talked about resetting our time, and last week we talked about resetting our physical health. And today we're going to talk about a topic everybody loves to talk about in church, resetting our finances. Yeah, we're going to be talking about money in church. Uh, no, again, it's, it's not a topic that a lot of people are comfortable talking about, but it's something we're thinking about. I think all of us will want to be better money managers. In fact, I, I saw a statistic that I thought was really interesting when it came to change that thir- it said 32% of the people said if they could, they would change their intelligence level. 45% of people said if they could, they would change a bad habit. Uh, 51% said that they would change their weight, but 64% of the people surveyed said that they would change their finances if they could. So it's something we care about. So here's what we're going to do today. It's a little different. Um, I'm just going to basically talk about three things that I wish I would have known sooner when it came to finances. Maybe that's actually not accurate. It wasn't that I actually didn't know these things. I hadn't implemented them soon enough. So maybe that will fit better, that we need to not only know it, but we need to, we need to do these things. The scripture tells us that we're to be not just hearers of the word, but we're to be doers. And so these principles about our finances are straight from the Bible. And it's some of the things that me and my wife have done or are in the process of doing, but I wanna share these with you in no particular order. So I wanna start with number one though, um, and, and the first thing that I wish I would have known or done sooner is, is this thought. It's better to appreciate more than to acquire more. I wish I'd have known that, that it's better to appreciate more than acquire more. What we're talking about here is this thing this, that the Apostle Paul called the learning the secret of contentment. To, to just say, hey, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I have. In fact, here's how he put it. Paul said this. He said, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Most of us aren't born content. It's something that we learn uh, we, we don't just wake up one day and go, I'm fully content with what I have. It's, it's, a, it's a, something that's learned over time. Uh, the fact of the matter is contentment is actually very freeing because you can get off that treadmill of always wanting more. I need to acquire more. I need to get more and just learn to enjoy what I already have. And the Bible talks a lot about that in different places. In First Timothy, it actually tells us, it warns us of the danger of not being content with what I have and appreciating what I have, but of wanting more and more and more. It says, so if we have enough food or clothing, let us be content. In other words, if I just have the basics, we ought to learn to be content, satisfied with that. But it goes on to say this, 
But people who long to be rich fall into temptation or are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. The danger of wanting more and more and more and feeding the more monster. Instead of looking what I have and just appreciating it, I'm always wanting to acquire more. That's a dangerous, slippery slope. It's a treadmill that you can never seem to get off when I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses and, you know, I, I, I'm being content. It's hard sometimes because we start off many times, we get a car, a new car for us, maybe new to us, maybe, maybe brand new, but it's new to us and we're very, we're appreciative, we're happy, we're glad, we're thankful and content with that vehicle, but then we get a couple of years on it, a few more miles on it, we look, our neighbor's got a better one and all of a sudden we're no longer um, content with that, we're not gonna appreciate that anymore, or we get a new computer and it's great until a new model comes out or we get our new cell phone and it's fantastic and we're super content with it until the new version is released. And then all of a sudden it's like, why do I have this old phone? Or why do I have to drive that junky car? Or why do I have this outdated computer? And, and it's just a, it's a slippery slope that unfortunately many of us find ourselves in. But when I learn to appreciate what I have, it, it really adds satisfaction to my life. And I wish I would have uh, uh, implemented this sooner in my life. And I wanna share a couple more scriptures that show you just how important this is. And I, this next scripture I'm gonna give you is from a guy who had everything. He was the richest man that's ever lived. He was also the wisest man that ever lived. And here's what he said about this. He said, it's better to enjoy what you have than to always want something else because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. Solomon this wise man, this wealthy man said, hey, here's, what, here's the best thing you can do. Just enjoy what you have. Appreciate what you have. Don't just always look to get more. That's like chasing the wind. It never gets you anywhere. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. I can't tell you how many times I've looked into my closet that's filled with clothes, filled with shoes, filled with all those things, and to go, I can't find anything to wear because we don't really appreciate the things we have. So the first thing that I think that we all probably would do better at and, and enjoy life more if we would just put this thought to, to practice that it's better to appreciate more than acquire more. The second thing that I wish I would have known or done sooner is that living within my means brings freedom. This is huge. Just living within my means. You know the average American um, has 90 thousand dollars of debt ninety thousand dollars of debt and that includes all sorts of debt from school loans to cars to credit cards all those kind of things but out of that five thousand five hundred twenty five dollars is the average american's credit card debt that's a lot of money and while the bible doesn't prohibit debt it does caution against it because it says when we enter into debt when we have a relationship that we enter into debt it's it's it defines the relationship as a master and a slave. We become the slave or the servant of the one that we are borrowing from. In fact, here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 22. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is the servant to the lender. Now, one of the main contributors I see of people accumulating a lot of debt is that they just don't, we don't plan very well our spending. And we have a lot of impulse buying because again, we we have this desire to acquire, which we talked about in point one, and at and least impulse buying. We go to the store, we see something online, and we, and we immediately, we want it. 
but we want immediate gratification. And so we think, you know what, I deserve this. And uh, um, even though I don't have the cash to pay for it, I'll go ahead and just put it on my credit card and it'll be okay. And, and, uh, and, and so I see it, I want it, I buy it and, and then I have it, but then the problem comes in and I've got to pay for it. And that gets a lot of people in trouble. So let me give you a scenario that I came up with, okay? Um, let's just use an example of, of someone who says, they go to Best Buy and they're looking at flat screens TVs and they see this brand new 85 inch flat screen TV. It has smart TV, does all kinds of things. And it's on sale for $3,000. And they're thinking, man, uh, I'd love to have that TV. I don't have $3,000 cash. No problem, I've got my credit card. And so they buy the TV, you buy the TV, it's, it's a great TV. And you, and you just picture yourself, man, I can't wait till I get it home. I can watch the, the games on TV, it's gonna be amazing. And so you put the credit card out there and you buy it, you get it home and you put it on the wall and it's great, but then you have the payments. And so the average person, here's what they do, is because they put it on a credit card, the average credit card interest rate is 16.6%. And most people say, well, I'll just do, make minimum payments, which might be $50, and I'll, I'll spread that over 10 years. Now, when you do the math on that, here's the problem. Um, over that 10 years, and by the time your 10 years is finally you paid that TV off, you've paid not only the $3,000 that the TV cost, but you've paid $3,030 worth of interest, and the TV is 10 years old and now obsolete, and you gotta go get another one. Now, that's a problem, right? You've wasted a lot of money on that $3,000 TV that now has cost you over $6,000. Now, let's change that scenario a little bit, and let's think about planning that spending. So instead of just going in and impulse buying, this time you see the TV, on, you know, you see it online, and you go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save up for that. So you save up your $3,000, you go into Best Buy, you buy the TV, you bring it home and enjoy it, and, um, and you take the $3,030 you would have spent on interest on a credit card, and you put that in an investment, in a mutual fund that pays 8% interest. And you, over 10 years, you, you, you let that ride. You just put that in there and let it go. The difference now is you've got a, the TV you've paid cash for for $3,000, and, and, and you've got a of course, you got a 10-year-old TV that you may have to replace, but that's okay because you've got cash because you've put the rest of it in that, in that uh, investment, that mutual fund that has been paying you interest. And now, at 10 years later, that is worth $30,000. That's the beauty of, of understanding how interest works can work against you or for you. And this is why planning our spending is so important. And the scripture talks a lot about planning our finances. It tells us in Proverbs 27, it says riches can disappear fast and the king's crown doesn't stay in his family forever. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and your herds. And you go, I don't have any flocks or herds. What's that mean to me? Well, it's simply a principle here that we need to plan our, everything about our lives and our spending and, and what we have and, and what we're, you know, what's under our control that we're taking care of. We're to, we're to just watch over the state of our flocks. That's what, that's what it means by saying that. In Proverbs 21.5, it says, plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. This idea of setting goals, learning to live in a, by a budget, just kind of planning all my spending, living within my means. Let me give you a quick financial ad advice, okay? Here's what you do, all right? Just kind of financial advisor 101. All right, here's what you do as a good practice. Uh, line one, you take all of your income. So any streams of income you might have, just kind of write that down, and that's your income. And then on line two, 
all of your expenses, everything that, all the money you owe, all the bills, everything, you, that's your expenses, okay? Now here's, here's, this is a big revelation. If line two, what you owe is more than line one, you've got a problem. Follow me for more financial advice. I mean, you, you already knew that. We, we know these things, but a lot of times we don't implement those things and we wonder why we're struggling and we need a reset and financially. Now, let me give you another scripture. Proverbs chapter three says, don't withhold repayment of your debts don't say some other time if you can pay now. Again, the, this idea of, of living within your means but not, not always putting everything on credit. Just pay it off cash. You're much better off. Now, my wife and I, when we were married, I'm thankful that we did implement this particular thing fairly early. When we got married, one of our goals right when we got married was we, we want to we be debt-free. We don't want to live with debt. And um, that meant, you know, trying to live within our means, of course, and, and doing some things. And, and thankfully, uh, 12 years in our marriage, we were able to do that. So it is possible. And you might be here thinking, man, there's no way I could do that. My finances are so bad right now. I've got a great next step for you. Um, next Sunday, or if you go online and go to our Connect uh, area, you can look at our groups. And we have a Financial Peace University, a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class that'll be starting this semester that it'll be a great step. Millions of people across the nation have, have taken this uh, and, uh, and, and learned to live within a budget and become debt-free and just remarkable things have happened. And we've offered this uh, often here, but the next semester coming up here uh, very soon. You, it's not too late to sign up for that. So enough of that commercial. Let's go to the third part of this thing that I wish I would have known sooner or done sooner, and that is this, and it's a principle, and that is this, giving is more of a faith thing than a financial thing. Giving is more than a, of a faith thing than a financial thing. The first hurdle that most people have to overcome when it comes to this is establishing whose money it is. Um, every week in this series so far, and, and for the rest for that matter, we're focusing on a, an attribute of, or fruit of the Holy Spirit known as self-control. When it comes to our spending and the way we view our money, it takes self-control. But there's also another principle we've been talking about. When we talked about um, how the first week when we talked about resetting our time and last week talked about resetting our health, I introduced this principle called stewardship or management, and that is that God owns everything and then he just allows me to manage his resources. And it comes to money, it's the same way. I have to establish whose money it is. Now, this is where a, str for a struggle for a lot of people because you're thinking, wait a second, it's my money. I, I'm the one that went out and worked this week and I got my wages and I earned it. By the sweat of my brow, I earned it and it's my money. And I would just say, hang on, just carry that thought a little farther. Who gave you the ability to do your job? Who provided the job for you? Who gave you the transportation to get to your job? Who was it that actually uh, gave you uh, the breath in your lungs to do your job? It's God. And when it all comes down to this, and if, and if you understand this principle, life is actually better when you recognize that God is the owner. Here's what it says in, in, in Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in it. Your time, your body, your money, your family, all your possessions, it's all God's. And that's a good thing. I mean, it takes the stress off of you having to be the, the one and only person who's responsible for those things. Yes, we have a stewardship responsibility 
And that's because God owns it. We want to do as best we can with what we have. Now, let me give you another principle that we've been talking about for many, many years around here. It's a very simplified version of a budget, okay, if you will. And if you, if you were to put this into place, you, you should never have any financial problems the rest of your life. And we just call it the 10, 10, 80 plan. And that is this, the first 10% of your income, give it right back to God. The second 10% create some savings. And once you create enough of the savings, kind of a, 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 a the fund that's there just in case of emergency, then put it in investments, the rest, that 10%, and then live on the 80%. That's, if you can live on 80% of your, what you make and do the rest of those things, you'll never have any problems. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have emergencies, but because you've saved, you'll be able to handle that. And that's the whole point, is when you learn to live within your means, you recognize, man, life is better. It's good. And when, but when I, that first part I said is giving that first percent to God, 10% to God, that's where a lot of people say, wait, how is that possible? I mean, that is... I, you know, if you look at your finances, it probably wouldn't be finan- uh, financially possible. But it's something that for, for my wife and I, and I'll share more of that story in just a second, it was a huge step, but it, it probably was the most important step that we've taken financially when we learned to give back to God what was rightfully his to begin with and live on the remainder that he allowed us to have. But let me give you some scripture here that I, I, this has always been some of my favorite passages here about finances. And again, showing how much of it's a faith thing than a financial thing. God is much more interested in the attitude in which we give, the heart in which we give, than the amount in which we give. And it's, it's a scripture found in Mark chapter 12. And the scenario is Jesus and his disciples are in the temple and they're watching people give their offering, which seems kind of awkward, but this is what's going on. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, I want you to think about this setting, right? It's kind of, a, it's kind of humorous, actually, that Jesus and his disciples are there. They're watching people put in money in this collection box. And I have read the collection box there was actually made out of metal. And a lot of the wealthy religious people wanting to impress others, because apparently this was kind of almost a spectator sport. People would put in and everybody kind of ooh and ah at the amounts they were putting in. And since it was a metal box, these people made sure that they had plenty of, of, of coins. So I could see this scenario playing out. Instead of you know, giving a $100 bill, they'd go to the bank and go, I want $100 in, in pennies and nickels because I want to make a big show of all of that money tinkling in that offering. Tinkling doesn't sound right, but you know what I'm saying, making noise in the, uh, in the offering box. But they did this, and then this lady comes up, this poor widow. She's got just two little coins, two pennies. And she puts these in, probably feeling under pressure because she knows people watch her, very self-conscious that she's got these two pennies. But because it's a faith thing, she's just like, okay, I'm giving. And she gives the two pennies. And then she walks on and Jesus stops his disciples and just says, hey guys, check this out. That lady right there, she put in more than the other ones. And, And they were like, wait, How's that possible? We watched it. They put in lots and lots and lots. 
And she put in two, and Jesus clarifies it. And he's basically saying it's a faith thing, not a financial thing. Jesus says they gave from their surplus, but she gave everything she had. And I think the principle there is just what I'm talking about. When we learn to, to trust God with what we have, that God does amazing things that we can't even fathom with our finances. Now, let's just get back to this, this idea of 10%. That's an Old Testament thing called a tithe. Now, New Testament, you see that overlap a little bit, but what we see in the, Old Te- the New Testament is that the, the parameters for giving, um, it, we need to give generously, the Bible teaches. We need to give hilariously. It actually uses the word hilarious, like, it's, like we're enjoying giving, that we're, we're to give not under duress or man, under manipulation or, or you know, grudgingly. It's just an attitude of saying, God, you own it all, and I'm, thank you for letting me keep what, the part you know, that, that I have, and I'm going to give you this. And it, it's, it's just a different way of looking at things. And, and when I talk about generosity or giving, I know I'm preaching to a choir at Foothills because you guys are amazing. Like, this is unbelievable what's happened. And I'm going to share more about that in the coming weeks. But, but there are a lot of people who probably have never trusted God financially. So I'm kind of speaking to you because that's where I was. Some of you know my story. I wasn't raised in church. So when I went to church, um, I remember I gave my life to Jesus and part of the service would they would pass the plate and people would put money in and, and um, I, I didn't understand all that, didn't really know what it was about. But when the plate would come by, uh, I would, you know, I didn't want to be the only one didn't put money in. I'd put a couple bucks in. If I felt super generous, I might put $10 in and, uh, and it went by. And so I didn't really understand the whole principle of, of giving or all of that. And then as I, as I got into church a little bit more, I, I started recognizing that this was an important part of the service, but I thought of it as a business transaction. So what I did, and this is mistakenly, this is how I did it. The church I was going in, you know, I, I was, I was kind of counting how many people were in the room. And then I was in business. So I, I kind of, that was how my mind thought. And then I thought, okay, how many people are in the room? Um, and then I started thinking, okay, they got a X amount of square feet in this building. And um, it probably costs this much for their mortgage. And, and I didn't even know those numbers. I was estimating in my mind and I, their power probably costs this much. And they have some people on staff. And, and I just kind of added it all up and I divided it by the number of people. And I go, okay, that's about how much people should give. Just, you know, everybody pitches in their fair share and they take care of it. Not realizing that that really wasn't the case. It wasn't about that. But one day I remember, again, brand new believer, the pastor comes up and he's preaching about giving the first percentage to God. In his case, he talked about 10%. And, and I thought, people actually do this? Like there are people who give 10% of their income? I, I couldn't fathom that. It didn't make sense to me. So um, the more he talked, I was listening to him, but I was almost kind of like, I don't know, feeling guilty under conviction, what it was, but my wife and I went home and I'll never forget. Um, I was really struggling with that for like days, like, thinking of giving that amount of money because I knew I didn't have 10% extra money laying around anywhere. We were like, you know, everything, we were working toward getting debt free, but everything was accounted for. There was not, you know, it just, it wasn't, there wasn't excess. So as I started thinking more about it, a conversation with my wife, I said, now I don't get this. I don't know how people are doing this, but all I know is that I've given my life to Jesus. I want to be all in. I mean, I'm tr- and this is where my struggle was. I'm thinking, I trust him with my eternal soul right? The most important thing there is. I trust him with my wife. I trust him with everything I have, but now I'm, I'm struggling to trust him in the area of finances because it was, it was a faith thing, not a financial thing. 
And then when it dawned on me, I said, okay. And I said to my wife, I said, I don't know how we can do it. So what we did is what a lot of people do, is I got out a piece of paper and a calculator and we tried to figure it out. And we're running the numbers. And it dawned on me, I didn't know this at that point, but here's what I figured out, is that it will never work out on paper. Okay, it's just not gonna work. You cannot take a spiritual act of worship, which is what giving is. It's an act of faith. It's a, it's, a, it's a worship, part of my worship when I give to God. You cannot take a spiritual act of worship and reduce it down to a, a mathematical equation or a business transaction. It's never meant to be that way. So I thought to myself, okay, how are we gonna do this? It wouldn't work on paper. I said, finally, we just crumbled up the paper and said, you know what? We gotta do some, trust God in this one. We just gotta do it by faith. We're gonna take the first part of our money, not the last, because there is no last. We're gonna take the first, and we're gonna give it by faith, and we're gonna see what God does. Now, I will say the practical side of that, I went in my garage, and I looked, and I had a bunch of toys I was making payments on. I go, we don't need those anymore. They're just sitting here collecting dust. Let's get rid of this, let's get rid of that. And I had to, I had to free some finances up to make that possible, and we did it. All I can tell you is I cannot show you how it worked out on paper. I just know that we were still able to go get debt free. We were still able to do what we needed to do. We were still able to do everything we've ever needed to do by the grace of God and his faithfulness and just stepping out in faith. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. And I'm telling you, and, and I promise you, if you ask other people who have gone through that experience and it's, it's gut-wrenching trying to you know, get to that point where, I don't know, can I trust him with this? And just saying, okay, God, I'm giving it all. That whole idea of stewardship changed my life and it was something that I wish I would have actually done sooner. Now, it didn't take us long because we were new, fairly new, newlyweds and I was a new believer, but that's what it did. So let me, let me kind of, one more time, I'm gonna read Psalm 24.1, which is what I just read a moment ago. And I want you to think of it in light of what I just said. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything. When we come to that point in our life, when we say, God, I'm just gonna give you, and, 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 and it, let me also preface it by saying this. If you're saying there is no way I could do that, here's what I tell people. Instead of saying, hey, I'm just gonna go for it and give 10%, if, that's fine if you do that. I don't. You know, I, I just, that's between you and God. But what I would say is if you're not giving anything, just give 1% of your income to God. If God is faithful, give 2%. If he's not, don't give him anymore. I promise you, you can't outgive God. Now, let's put it all together, shall we? All right, the first part is, is all about attitude, right? I've got to learn to appreciate what God has given me more so that I don't have that constant desire to acquire more. That's what greed is, and I need to have contentment. Contentment will free me up. Second point is that I need to be able to plan my spending, I need to be able to budget, and I need to really be able to use God's resources in a wise manner. And then finally, being generous with what God has given me will change our lives. Guys, anytime we talk about money in church, is there's a reason that the Bible talks more about money and possessions than any other topic. It talks about that more than heaven or hell, more than love, more than prayer, more than faith. 
it's a really important topic to us and it's a really important topic to God. And what I think God would want for us is to just trust him in all areas of our lives. And I promise you, if you'll take those steps, your finances can reset in 2022. Hey, I wanna pray as we close and um, thank everybody for, for tuning in. And you know, don't forget, we're gonna be doing some, some, a couple of our favorite worship songs over the last month or so that, that I think you're really gonna enjoy. Uh, so, so don't tune out right after this, but let's pray together. God, thank you so much for all the resources you've given us. We are, uh, we are blessed people and we're a blessed church because you have so many generous people who get it when it comes to their finances. And for a lot of them, this is just a review. This is just kind of like, hey, they, they're, they're doing well. They've, they've followed these principles before, but others are, they're new to this and it's, it's challenging and it's scary. And, and, um, and I'm just praying that you would show them the reality of your truth of your word. But most importantly, God, I pray for, that if there are people here who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ because he paid the ultimate price for us, the ultimate transaction where he gave himself up, perfect, righteous Christ for sinful humanity and that you initiated that so that we can have a relationship with you. So I pray, God, if there are people who are watching now who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. If that's you and you're ready to commit your heart to Jesus and you recognize that you're sinful and you need a savior and that you can't save yourself, but he did it for you and maybe you invite him into your life and you can do that by just offering a prayer in your own words, something like this, say, Jesus, I am giving you control of my life. Thank you for the cross and what you did on the cross. Thank you that you died for my sins and I trust you. I place my faith in you as Lord and savior. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.